when people like myself given an opportunity, um, people can turn their life around. And everybody that crossing a channel, I was one of them. Right? I was vulnerable. I was broken. I was, I could say, worthless. But I was given an opportunity. I did turn my life around until I received an MBE. And now I do really an important work um, here at Freedom from Torture and also for the United Kingdom because of the opportunity that was given. And I really wish that anybody would be given an opportunity. And if people given an opportunity, they can turn you know, their life around. Welcome to Refugee Radio. of uh, Freedom from Torture, uh, where you're based. Lovely offices in, in central London. Thank you for accommodating us. No, I, I think it's my, it's my pleasure. And also, at, uh, Freedom from Torture, for us, we call it home. Yeah, it's, uh, it's home for, for most of us. It's, it's a place where... Um, it's one of the places for me the first time I put humanity in the face of human being and where I was shown love you know, respect and compassion you know to me because I you know consider almost everybody here when I join here as a stranger and why they are so kind to me and yeah and since then I was quite attached to the organization for people who haven't heard of the organisation Freedom from Torture, what, what do they do and why is this important work? Why is it needed? I think they do a great job. I think if, I'm, if you are there listening to me today and talking to you um, with confidence and happy to share you know, my journey of you know, fleeing in torture, war, and you know, doing advocacy and talking on behalf of survivors is because of the work that Freedom from Torture does, and because of, of the work that Freedom from Torture done, you know, with me when I came here in 2005 when I was referred to Freedom from Torture. I, I'm not ashamed to say that I was broken mentally. I was very, very low. I had um, quite a lot of what is called symptom, uh, post-traumatic disorder symptom. Uh, it's in relationship to um, my experience of torture, experience of war, and also, you know, the torture journey that I took to come to the UK. I had 
nightmare, I could not sleep, you know, headache, and, you know, anxieties, and quite a lot of those things. And then, you know, at Freedom from Torture, I, I had a therapy. I went to one therapy, who uh, therapist, and through, you know, therapy, they try to look at what is what are those issues and how to address those issues that you know you 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 experience in um, in daily in daily in daily basis and i had come to understand that what happened to me and what i'm experiencing now are interlinked and i didn't know that before and i did really struggle to understand why why I'm having nightmare? Why I could not sleep, and why I have headache? I try to try take medicine here and there, but it's not resolving my issue. Why? What is what is happening there? And I did not realize that trauma can manifest this way. And at Freedom from Georgia, I I was helped to understand that. And and after that was. It was like a release. It's like I was in a lock in a room, and suddenly somebody opened the door, and I could got out. The room is like the room that I was locked. It's like a stuffy. It's hard. It's it's dark, and I was released outside, fresh air. You know, I can see sun, and it was just really just you know, beautiful feeling. And it's like I was released from. It's like, but when I was at that moment, I mean, uh, with the trauma thing, it's like my whole creativity was blocked. My whole sense of personal was blocked. My whole sense of meaning in life was blocked. And after that, I was relieved, released, and. There's a period where my creativity and my sense of um, purpose and freedom was just went through the roof. And there's a period I was really, really creative. And yeah, that, that's the work that you know Freedom from Torture does uh, in an individual level. And also, I think in the group, because I was part of also group therapy with other, other people. And now we really uh, have a strong connection. We are friends. And there is, um, you know, group therapy such as uh, creative writing. And there's a time where we do art. There's a time where we do football. You know, I love football. And also there is a music um, therapy on top of, you know, the one-to-one therapy where I really, really look into, you know, the it's called trauma focus. Look at your trauma and, and try to help you to understand it. It must have been huge for you, finally, you know, finding somebody who actually understood what you were going through and was able to put a name to it and and a way out of it, having struggled with that for so long. Um, did you know in America some of the 
veterans returning from war, they, instead of calling it post-traumatic stress disorder, they call it post-traumatic stress injury because they say it's not like a disorder. It's not like a mental illness that's arisen as a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain or something like that. It's actually an injury. Something is it's like a broken leg. Something's happened to you, a traumatic experience, and you need to heal that, that damage. And you can. And that's the amazing thing about... Um, trauma therapy isn't it that these these are healable wounds this is a this isn't a permanent situation that people have to live with and mm. through wonderful organizations like freedom from torture people don't have to live with it forever mm. it's a very inspirational journey and do you think there's a lot of people out there who need this kind of help yeah definitely i think what you say that is so important Because when I say something that, I mean, for me, when I look back into it, it also surprised me um, a lot. Because before being referred to freedom from torture, I did resist it. I didn't want to get to come to freedom from torture because I have that belief that mental health has a kind of negative connotation to it. And I was saying that I'm not... I'm not crazy. I don't have any problem in my in my brain, and why would I why would I go there? And I think that's a part that we really need to understand. You know, absolutely, we need to understand that our psyche or our mind is like any other organ that is in our body that can you know can can get injured. The rest we understand because um, we we can see the you can see the pain or we can feel the pain and we can see or you injured that or you have something or if you have like a virus and all those kind of things and then we we comprehend and then we, we we look at it in different way but when it comes down to our mental we see it different way. I, I think that we need to consider the whole person, the whole body as one, as, you know, cells, and those cells can be impacted, can be um, affected. And every cell can be also healed. I think we know that, you know, there is certain, you know, um, this is what, you know, at time we cannot, you know, find a solution for it. But, uh, you know, uh, mental health, we know that you know that's something that can be can be resolved. And you know, I am and quite a lot of people um, that come through freedom from torture um, are testimony that you know those things can be can find a solution. And you can, I think, the trauma. One thing with the trauma, you will never absolutely kind of erase the trauma. And it will impact your brain. But you will, with the help of people like Freedom from Torture, you will learn how to live with it. And at the time, you will just, it's not going to be impacting you in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can, yeah. you can actually grow to become bigger than it. Absolutely. And it doesn't define you. It's still a memory, of course. It's not yeah. going away. It's yeah. still a thing that you've survived. But actually, it's a thing that you've survived and are stronger from having sure. survived and overcome. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the feeling when you first came here, um, a feeling uh, broken. 
and the, the interesting thing about torture is that in the public imagination they see it in films, James Bond or something they think, oh, torture is used to get, get information it's used to, to interrogate people to find secrets, but actually it's not, it's used to, to break people and also to silence people, which is something that um, you've said in a previous interview and I think that's a really interesting point about being used to silence people and how we resist that and of course you've one day one of the co-founders of an organisation or, or a group called Survivors Speak Out which is exactly addressed to that not being silenced and speaking out yeah. um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what is Survivors Speak Out and how you first got involved with that yeah thank you very much because um, you know earlier when I said that there is when I was released from my trauma my creativity just gone to a roof and I think you know, it was a moment where I really I, I used to go back home from my from coming to freedom from torture from the therapy and it's, when the therapy finished instead of just going home something we just sit at the reception you know other people that come for therapy so then you know reception become like our um, talking ground, so that we're just chatting. With, you know, you come here, we're meeting here, friend chatting, and all those sort of thing. And then we leave here. You know, when the organization closing, because you know the space is for us. I think we love coming here and those sort of. Thing. And then yeah, I go home, and then when I'm going home, I then my brain start thinking, and then I go home, and then my brain's constantly thinking, and and the thinking is just coming. Who I am, you know, one of the questions I keep asking myself, you know, who I am, you know, who I am. And in, in asking myself who I am, I also ask not just who I am right now, today, who I was, I mean, in the past, you know, before torture and war, and then at the same time, who I want to be uh, in the future. And there's a moment where I... I wish, yeah, I gone back and then recover all my, all whatever that made me me, you know, before torture. I feel that I'm careless. I'm no fear, no fear, and really want to help people and wanna be part of this wonderful experience of life. And you know, torture come. And completely, you know, changed me, you know, broke me. Um, and I became com completely different person, you know. Fear, I, I go out, I'm scared, I see, I see van, I'm scared of the van. And, and I just think that, you know, torture, and I scared of my voice, scared of speaking, speaking for my right, and and so and so, and relying on people make decision for me. It's a completely different person. And then I was just thinking, maybe you know the best option for me, just sit out. Sit out doesn't mean that just focus on myself go there, you know, try to build a life incognito. You say incognito, right? Yeah. Yeah. Build a life incognito. No one knows me. 
and have a quiet life. Until whatever the life come to an end, I made my life. And then I would, really, I think that's what was conflicting. Conflicting, I, I wake up in the morning, I just, I mean, that doesn't look like something that I will enjoy. It doesn't look like something it's me. And then, there's a one day, I was coming, yeah, I was going home from freedom from torture. And in, in the metro, in the underground, you know, they, they used to put, I mean, they still do, um, they put like a third of the day. And in, in one of those, I saw a court, and I hope that I remember the court in, in the right order. You are the master of your faith, and you are captain of, this, of your soul, or whatever, that, that's something like that. Yeah, you are the captain of your soul, you are master of your faith, or something like that. And it just captured me. And I could not, you know, get rid of that in my mind. I went home, I was just thinking about it, and then I would just um, try to find out what is that. At that time, you know, if you want to do research, you go to library. <laughs> I went to library the next day and then tried to find what is that code, who, who wrote that code, and then I find that. I find the quote from, you know, Handy or something like that. And I read, I read the full, you know, text on that. And it's, it gave me a different outlook. And then I said, okay. So I can change things for myself. I can be the captain of my faith and the, the master of my soul. Yeah, I can be that. So that pushed me to think about what I want to be, what I, how I want to be remembered, what legacy I want to leave. One thing, and I don't want to succumb to what torture wants me to be, silence and uh, be incognito and not fight for my right or fight for the right of other people. And I said, I'm going to do the opposite of that. And that's how I came with the idea of one thing that I know I have, I have the lived experience of torture, lived experience of war, lived experience of torture journey to get to safety. I live in a refugee camp. All those I can, if I put together, I can have say in how people like myself have been treated here in the UK or, or abroad, and I still have, can have a say on how torture works. And so, and then I said, more people, more loud and more stronger, so that I came with the idea of this was speaker of Nelson. And I started talking to my friend from Freedom from Torture. You know, I have this idea, would you join me so we can create a network of torture survivors? We can, we can challenge, you know, the policy that is no good for torture survivors and so and so, and we can fight against torture and, and so and so. And yeah, I had people come, and we started this whole speaker network this way. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It really reminds me of something um, a person I know who was a, a survivor of torture from Turkey used to say he, he spent many, many years living in as a failed asylum seeker and living in, in limbo, waiting for something to happen with his case. and. And he said to me, he woke up one day and realised that he was 
fed up with being, as he said, scared and silent, or mm. silent and scared, and he just changed it. And he started mm. finding and making a fuss, and things started to happen for him because he just fought mm. against it. But yeah, scared, and he said, don't, as he, his advice to people, he said, don't stay scared and silent. Yeah, yeah I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. what do you think are the, the dangers of speaking out about these things? Oh, the danger can be close and also far. And I think people like myself and other torture survivors that still live here in the UK, we still have family back home. And, and when you speak, if you're not careful who you're speaking against, then, you know, they can, you know, touch you, try to carry on silencing you or influencing you from afar. And a family member can be target and um, physically target. And some can be eliminated. You know, I know, um, I know some friends that you know the family member were killed in in that regard. And also, other way to make life difficult for them, like in society, for them difficult to find work and all those kind of things. So there's so much methodology that they use. And also, I think it's for certain countries, certain friends that I know where the country infiltrated the spy abroad even in the country where you think safe, you know, people have been targeted by, you know, you know, the country and so your physical safety also is in danger even in the country where you think that you are far away from those uh, from those people. And also then I mean, now with the social media, the trolls and all those kind of things, you know, they attack you, uh, you know, left and, uh, you know, left and right. And there is constant risk that you take by, you know, by speaking out. And it's the risk that you need to understand very, very well before you really engage on that. And as you know, you know, like your friend, Dr. Siwara from Turkey, uh, said, you come to a point where you have to make a choice in scare or silence or loud and fearless. And I have chosen uh, loud and fearless because at the end of the day, yeah, being scared and silence will amount to nothing. And if we want to make sense of of the hard time that we have faced, for me that was that was the option. So that you have better kill kill me because you did not kill me. Now you created a monster. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> That's a great line. I love it. Going back then to your arrival in the in the UK before um, all of this happened, I wondered what was your first encounter with the Home Office? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I when I set set off myself to find safety and to seek safety, I had only one objective in my head: is is the safety of that well-being of that body that is the physical body that I wanted to keep safe um, 
not to be harmed further. And I have give myself all the energy that I can amass as a human being to achieve that single purpose, find a place where I can be safe. And then when I made that decision, I didn't know, feel anything else. At, at the time, because most of my journey was on food, and sometimes I walk on, um, like so, some tree that has a spike, is it spike? Oh, like thorns. Yeah, thorns, yeah. yes. Sometimes I get thorns in my feet, but I don't feel it. Just keep going, keep walking. And sometimes I walk for hours without food. I don't feel hungry. And because I think that um, my survival instinct took over. Mm. And I was going. And I did not have a particular destination. I did not have said, okay, I'm here. That's the point, and that's what I'm going to go. No, I didn't have a clue of where I'm going. But the one thing that I am clear of what is in behind me. As far as possible that I'm going to leave the point that behind me, that's my, my main objective. And through, it's about six to seven months or something like that, you know, you know journey, till I reach a place where what is in front of me could not physically allow me you know, to go and because it was Irish um, port um, in neighboring country, and I, I physically I could not do anything. I cannot walk you know, over the sea. If I could, I would have done it, but I could not walk. So I need what I mean. So I, I linger around that for you know for for a few months before you know I got an opportunity to pay people to get me somewhere even more further. And when I got into a place, honestly, in the beginning, because I, you know, come through a ship and all those kind of things, and and important, when I, when I reached, in the beginning, because I was so disoriented, because it took me really long, I was so disoriented. But I have that kind of belief that I came to a country where human rights is respected, that I'm taught as who I was, I'm free, and people going to welcome me, and going to give me the protections, and all those kind of things. I was elated that finally I got somewhere. I'm going to be safe. I presented myself um, at the home office, and... My face in quarter really left me perplexed. You say perplexed? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was perplexed. I was confused. I was not understanding what I was, what I was facing. I thought those people were going to be friendly and then try to hear what I'm about to say, why I'm asking help. But they was really antagonistic there. 
I was like, what is what I did what I do to this person? What is it this person receive a message from you know, my government there saying that if this this type of person come here, please make sure that you don't support them and then you don't help them, you don't send them back or something like that. I was like I was I was so shaking. And so it felt personal. Yeah. Yeah, you felt like they, they, they're just personally doing this to me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like thinking, what? Because straight away, instead of focus on what is happening here, I think my survival instinct again took over. I started thinking about what is my next move? Because I felt that, no, these people, they're not going to help me. So then, where's where's next move? And I end up being put in immigration detention center, and now that the end is another, that's another world of challenges, and and I think the immigration detention center does what broke my resolute at the end. That's how all the symptom of post-traumatic disorder, symptom of torture and trauma, everything just come as once. It's like suddenly it just flood of water just pour on me at once and everything that was coming. And I could not sleep. And I was constantly crying with that stop and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm crying. I was feeling sorry. I was feeling, you know, my life just flashing in front of me. And I was feeling really sorry for myself that what I have done, really what I have done to deserve such of life, life of pain, rejection, and everything, what I have done. And one day I was... Um, early in the morning in the immigration detention center I came out in the courtyard and suddenly I started crying again and I just I just looked looked up it was early in the morning you know the sun was rising and it was in May or something like that the weather wasn't too cold it's just kind of perfect weather and I just looked up and I said, "What I've done to you?" <laughs> I was talking. Uh, I was talking to God. What I have done to you? Throughout my life, I don't see any incident I have done that is bad to anybody to deserve such as you know painful in a life. What I have done? That what I've done that I don't know. And what is what is those punishment? Why? And some can say funny, but there's a moment at that few moments I felt a breeze just flashing me, and I felt a really nice breeze that you know, f- you know, flashed me, and and I felt something different. I felt a sense of relief. And it's like something said to me, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And it's, I, it kind of changed things from that moment. And I sat down, people was, 
wake up, people are going, because in the courtyard, you walk through the courtyard to go to the breakfast, people starting going, you know, to the breakfast, but I said, uh, I, I don't have appetite, I could not go to breakfast, I didn't know good, I was sitting, people looking at me going, and, and after that, when inside, nine o'clock, um, one of the officers come, they said, oh, you know, um, people from the home office want to see you um, now. So he took me there. I went there and said, you know, at, at 2 o'clock, you're going to have your, your interview. Um, here, somebody going to come and interview you. I said, are you happy with that? Do I have a choice? <laughs> I'm not going nowhere. I'm locked here. Yeah, I'm happy with that, you know. To finish, because I, I, I kind of resigned. At that moment, I didn't know that um, I'm going to be staying here in the UK, but I know that they, they were in the process of deporting me. Right? That's, that's what the immigration detention center is for. And I resigned that, uh, let deport me. And if I, my life has a meaning and my life should continue, I'm going to find somewhere else that I'm going to you know, find a safety. And I resigned to be, to be removed and to be deported and... And and so so it's okay, that's fine. I you know, went back, stay in, in the cell and waited and two o'clock and I and also the one thing that one element really important. While I was when I came I was really sick, I was kinda of concerned bleeding and I did ask to be to see a doctor and the promise was gonna give me a doctor but they never gave me a doctor as well in the immigration detention centre. So um, suffering with that pain and so on and so on. So I just want to think to really to finish um, quickly. So then, you know, 2 o'clock, I, I went for my interview. I went there sitting. And, you know, the interview did not start it. Because I wasn't speaking English when I came here. And I was speaking French. And they need an interpreter, you know, for that, you know, to do that. And the interpreter was running late, apparently there's a traffic. And the way that the person from the home office, you know, was treating me, I was surprised. He came and asked me, oh, you know, the interpreter's coming late, and I'm really sorry. He said, I'm sorry. I was like, what do some people know that language? I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's, it, it, it literally changed my perspective, to be frankly speaking, the way that he was treating me. He said, if you want, we can reschedule for tomorrow. But if you can wait, so let's wait. Do you want water, want tea, and all those kind of things? And of course, he was kind to me. I said, no, I don't have anywhere to go, so I can just wait. Yeah. And I waited and after that we done. Um, I done the interview, you know, with him, and, and he showed me compassion. Absolutely. He showed me compassion. And I'm, from me telling, telling him my story, he understand my suffering, and he understand why I'm here. And the interview lasted about five hours or six hours, something like that. At the end, I think we finished maybe around... Uh, we started like 3 o'clock or something like that. We finished around 7 o'clock or something like that. And then when we finished, he said something. I've interviewed many people, but 
have no interview someone like you and your place is not in the detention your place in the community and try to rebuild your life it's not here but now it's already late I cannot get you relief no release from immigration detention center but first thing tomorrow morning I'm going to come and I'm going to put the paperwork and then for you to be released from the immigration and also I'm going to give you refugee status so you can go and then start life and I had two opposite relationship experience with the home office. Horrible, and one person that's completely different. And then from there, you know, I was um, granted the refugee status, and and I started, you know, my life in the UK. You know, I've, I've been to dozens of uh, dozens and dozens of, of interviews, asylum interviews, mm. um, as, a, as a legal clerk for uh, immigration mm. solicitors, and uh, I, in all of those cases, they were awful and mm. very antagonistic and horrible, apart from one time, mm. and he sounds exactly like it probably could be the same person in yeah, your interview. It was exactly the same, yeah. Yeah, it could be the same, yeah. yeah. But you shouldn't have been in uh, immigration detention at all, Absolutely. Uh, according to the rules, no. because people who have uh, been detained and tortured in their country of origin should, are not supposed to be uh, detained and put in immigration detention. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Had you had you had you been allowed to see a doctor, that might have come up as well. But as you said, they, they didn't even let you see a doctor. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. That I think it's, it's part of the. Um, part of the concession is mm-hmm. somebody that touches you shouldn't be put in immigration detention center. But you know the fact that you know the screening interview is not conducted in is not conducted in a friendly manner, is not conducted in a compassionate manner, is not conducted in a um, fact finding. It's not fact finding. Um, yeah, fact finding mm-hmm. or something like that to allow people to say. Well, basically, I'm here because I'm tortured. Why was I fully tortured? And I'm here. I hope, you know, you can protect me and those kind of thing. You're, you're not given an opportunity to say all those things, so then you end up like myself in immigration detention center because you know you're not given an opportunity to say who who you are and why you're here, why you're seeking protection. So, and quite a lot of people, you know, end up in those kind of you know situations, and some of them even been deported without having a appropriate you know chance to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, it helps to be loud and fearless. Oh yeah, in those situations. <laughs> Thank you. And one of the things that uh, you do now is you make these great videos. I've seen some inspirational videos of yours on on YouTube, and one of them I was quite struck. You discussed um, some of the philosophy from this ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus, one of the Stoic philosophers. And you had some of the, uh, his wisdom was informing your thoughts about uh, your life. And I just wondered, it's, when somebody, he writes about being able to know the difference between the things that are in your control and the things that are outside of your control, and basically not worrying about the things that are outside of your control. And that includes terrifying things like, what if you get sick, or what if your reputation is destroyed, or what if bad things happen, but actually you can't control them. And when you're going through the immigration system, you can't control any of this stuff. It's all out of your hands, you know, up to the point where you're standing there in the uh, outside area of the detention centre looking up at the sky and what have I done to deserve all of this? Um, 
how do you think this uh, kind of wisdom uh, could, can help people, particularly survivors of torture, but other people as well going through the system to, to be able to let go of those things they, they can't control? Um, what would you say that uh, his wisdom can give those people? Yeah. Thank you very much. I think it's, I think it's really important. And I, I think his wisdom is also part of a sense of um, being a human being. Um, I think it's quite helped me quite a lot um, in a sense of understanding who I am, understanding my power, understanding the power of the environment that I am in, and defining who's who and who can do what and who cannot do what. And also understanding the power of the nature, you know, the universe that we live in and how to work with the universe rather than work against the universe. Because I think um, if you want one thing to happen to you the way that you want them or wish them to happen, you're working against the universe. And then you will never, you will never win against, against the universe. And it helped me really quickly. Um, I think it's happened around 2008, 9, for me, really, even 10, yes, 2010, for me really to embed that philosophy into my, into my life. And then I, I made, um, um, I made kind of structure, life structure for me. And in the life structure, I have few, few steps that I, I use. And I was doing the thing in a daily basis in order to systematize that in my mind. And the step, I think for me, is just um, simple. That every time that I find myself in a situation, right, I try to... First thing, I try to... It's not neutralize the situation, but try to make it neutral. Right? And then I will try to figure out what I'm facing now. Right? And if, let's say that I'm, if, if, if I'm sick, the first thing to look at I'm sick, I know I'm sick. Why sh- should I worry? Why, why would I worry? Is it the worry going to help me get well? And then my answer, no. All right. So I'm sick. So who can help me? So the next question is, who can help me? And then, yeah, if you go first, people that you need to go, you're going to need to go see your GP. And that's the people that have a little bit of knowledge of illness and those sort of things. They may help you. So then I go see my GP. So, you know, I'm suffering from this and that, and what can you do for me? And all those sort of things. And then, you know, they give you medicine, and then if the medicine works, so then you'll be fine. And then that's, that's, one, uh, that's one trivial example. And another example, another other example where I may find myself in a situation, okay, let's take the case of the pandemic. Right. Pandemic hit. And I was among the people that, you know, faced people that had the, um, had the COVID. And I was, I was struck really badly. And I was there in a lockdown. And you, you hear the impact of the pandemic, you know, people dying, you know, left and right and, and so on and so on. And then I said, you know, getting anxious and, and so on and so on. And then I said, asking myself a question. 
Right now, the pandemic as a whole hasn't got a... If you call your GP, GP said, oh, you know, just stay home, right? So the GP option is not a solution anymore. Hospital is not a solution. At that moment, nobody knows what, what to do with that pandemic, what to do with that virus thing, so nobody knew about it. And then I was thinking, GP is no, is no solution for me anymore because they don't know what to do with that. And I'm stuck with that. I just need to be at home. Nobody knows what, what to do. So actually, I could not have an outlet that somebody that I can go help, find help for. Then I was thinking, okay, then if a GP cannot help me, so who else can help me? I look around, nobody can help me. And then I resigned. I said, okay, then this one, as a human being level, nobody can help. So what can I do? Should I be anxious? Absolutely not, because I'm already in the middle of the end of a million of people in it. So we are all in it together. But that's in the hand of the nature now, the universe. And now it's only the universe now that I'm not going to fight it and you know, let go with it and then see where the universe is going to be taking us. And from that, I just resign to it. Hasn't, I haven't got the power. Nobody got the power. The universe knows what the universe is doing. So let it, let it be. And then just, I just, you know, let it be. And then I start um, using, you know, my illness and then learning from it and then communicate with the world, you know, make a video about if I've done something that helped me and, you know, keep me going and all those kind of things and so on and so on. So it's like I completely removed the, you know, anxiety, um, you know, from me again. And that's... That's a part of the philosophy that I also talk to my friend quite a lot when those are going through the asylum you know, system. Is that you don't have the power of influencing what the decision going to be. Nobody, nobody have that power. You don't have the power of how long going to be lasting. You don't have the power. It's, it's in the hand of the home office. But the power that you have is that while you're waiting, you can do things to advance yourself. Whether that, if you get your status, you're going to use it here in the UK, or if you're not here, you still use those. So you don't have a time loss. Whatever the time you have, you put invested so that you know it can give you dividend, you know, later and such. And also that you have a control of your life. The, your life is not controlled by. Somebody sitting on the desk and making a decision on, you know, what, uh, what, what or how, you know, you need to live, uh, live your life. And it's really important for us as human beings to understand when we have a power and when we don't have a power and how to relinquish that power when, when it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's, um, yeah, it's wonderful to see these ideas from, 2,000 years ago <laughs> being applied to this very modern situation but uh, of course people have to be positive and be hopeful yeah. and use the time to say learning English and making connections and working yeah. on these things that they can do yeah, yeah okay. um, and you've uh, gone on from these experiences to this fantastic organisation you're working with now and you have an MBE, which is a member of the British Empire, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? How did you first find out that was going to happen to you? Um, yeah, I think that's... Uh, you know, I still... 
when every time I think about it, I speak about it, I still have goosebumps. And, and I think funny thing about it, I still miss the Queen. Yeah, because I think it's from the Queen that I received my my yeah. medal of the MBE, and I have that picture, um, and on my on my screen, and 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 so on. So I think um, the first time I really find out about it, I was I could not believe, right, and. That someone like me, of my journey, of my life, come to to this position, and the effort that I was putting will be recognized to that level. Honestly, I, I even even today, I still at time pinching myself and really to comprehend to comprehend that. But when I, you know, early when I was saying that when I made the decision to turn my life to something positive, and I made a, I made a commitment. Because in the beginning, some of my friends even, you know, mocking me. That because when I started freedom from torture after therapy, I was I was doing voluntary. I was doing quite a different voluntary. Just try to help people. And I, even in my, is it my, in my. Uh, What's up? Status uh, um, helping helping people is my work or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And for me, helping people it is what gave me joy, and I was doing it. And one thing that I really wanted to do is raise the voice of survivors and people that have a lived experience of the unjust or the asylum system. And I was every time that there is opportunity for me to do that, I am there to do it, and I was doing it. And also, I was supporting the uh, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office with the Preventing Sexual Violence Initiative to make it this initiative really survivor-centered. Because I I always believe that um, survivors have expertise from the challenges you know they face that they can contribute to the support that you know people want to provide to them in a positive way, and I wanted to do everything for that you know to happen. And I was working with freedom from freedom from torture. Started the Soul Speaker Network, and also helping people freedom from torture define um, their philosophy on survivors' participation. Um, is and I was doing that with joy, and you know, in the beginning I was in, um, I was doing that you know, for free, but um, I loved every single minute, and also the people that I meet and the the changes that you know people I see in people life and all those kind of things make me so much happy that I'm that I turn my life to something more positive and then you know the the MBE uh, you know thing come and I was what and when I when I receive a, when I receive a communication saying this I said anyway I'm just yeah, I'm just going to complete send it, but anyway, they're not going to give it to me anyway. But you know, why not? You know, it doesn't it doesn't harm me just to to complete the form um, and 
and and and, and sign it off and and just send it. So, but nice, you know, nice gesture. But I don't think that you know they will um, they're gonna give it to me anyway. So I just done it and then I then I just stay and then you know forgot about it till um, in one day they contact oh you know like in December they're gonna release the list because it's in December they release the list of of people that was awarded the MBE and I mean the people that in the honor list and yeah, something like that the New Year's honor list yeah yeah New Year's yeah New Year's honor list yeah and so okay you know let's just and then it was released and then I was um, I was looking I was looking at looking at the list I was looking 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 for my name I did not see my name <laughs> I did not see my name and then I was just okay, I mean I knew I knew it I knew it nobody gonna no gonna nobody gonna give me anything you know for you know for that so and but you know the category that I was looking at is not the right category right. so yeah and I was looking for a different category and you know um, one of my friends said oh uh, did you get it I said no I told you that I'm not going to get it and then um, freedom from torture and see you just takes congratulations what's congratulations for you know the MPE your name yeah, on the list I said no my name is not there no your name is there <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, send me you know the category that is so I was like oh my god <laughs> uh, yeah I had I had um, I had a moment right of um it's a little bit of a moment of reckoning, and I look at I look at my life a little bit at that moment, and could not comprehend the implication of that MBE and how my life of seemingly nothing, worthless life come to this you know uh, come to this position and being recognized by a country like the United Kingdom among the million of people for the effort that I've been putting for the service of survivors and I, I broke down I really broke down and um I don't know, it's a mix of joy and and as well sorrow but I just realized that hard work always pays and it does no matter if you get recognition when you are in a lower um moment of your life, you get the recognition or not. You're working hard, you get the recognition or not. But all those efforts will amount to, you know, something. And if you do that with good heart, um, for the benefit of the community and other people, 
you will get recognized. And that was really nice conclusion for me, kind of to wrap my head around it and be very, very grateful for the opportunity that was given um, by the United Kingdom. One, you know, to be granted a refugee status, and secondly, to be given an opportunity to work with the Foreign Office to advance the Preventing Sexual Violence Initiative, and above all, to be having an opportunity to go through re rehabilitation at Freedom from Torture, and then Freedom from Torture give me an opportunity to work here. Um, to advance, you know, the survivors' engagement uh, and participation in the organization. I think it was it was a moment where funny me to say that, but it felt that all my suffering worth it. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing recognition of your efforts personally and also an amazing achievement to have this mission uh, recognised and yeah. the, for, the, for the work to be attached to that, that the, um, the, the people that make the decisions on those honours recognise yet yeah, this work is important and this person is important. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of that, I know it's a big, big question, but Obviously, you're working with uh, freedom from torture. So, how do we achieve freedom from torture? Oh, that is a really important inner question, and, and perhaps hmm. for the uh, to to whittle it down because it's a big. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah. But maybe for the listeners at home yeah. uh, hearing this, what do they do? Or yeah. What can we all do? Yeah, I think I'm um, really. Is, important question and especially what can we do because at, at, at the end of the day society community is comprised of people individual and you know sometimes because that's moment where in the beginning I also felt, felt that who I am, I'm only one person. What can I, why can I make it? What change I can bring into the world? All right. And it, that's the thing that we sometimes, we, when we ask ourselves this question, we don't see a positive out of it. We say, I'm just one person. You know, how can I, how can I move a powerful politician? How can I move a powerful country? But everything starts from one. There's nothing that starts from ten. You start from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, and you go this way. And without one, we're not going to get to ten. And we need to understand that one is the power that brings the ten. And as a one person, you have a power to bring down thousand. Right? But you need to recognize that, and you need to take that power uh, into consideration. If we want to free the world from a, from a torture or from anything when it comes down to human rights, is that we all need to get into it. You know, politicians, there are people that we put, we are the put people those in power. Right? One person can make a difference between who's, who's going to be in the power or not. 
right? You don't need any one person can make that difference. So if we all bring ourselves together, we say, okay, that not under my name, and if we're loud on that, you know, the politicians will put in the power, they will take notice. But when we are silenced, then, you know, nothing is going to happen. But we should not be silenced. And we need to contribute. And also the second most important thing is that sometimes we think the thing that happen is far away from us. It's happening over there, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not close here. We don't know it. But the fact that it's happened far away, I end up being here. Right? It's happened far away there, but I end up being here. So that's the impact. So the thing that far away is always going to come close to us if we don't do thing about it. And torture is despicable act that we should not, in no circumstances, really accept it under our name. And we should do everything that our government really stand firm in the fact that torture is wrong and should not happen, whether that over there or here, we should not. And we can do that by making sure that we really we supporting organizations like Freedom from Torture. We're supporting, you know, the campaign. If there's a campaign, you know, get into it. Make make your voice loud. Make your voice heard. And when there is a big movement of people, right, mix of survivors, non-survivors, all of us together as a movement, we really gonna create, you know, the changes. Torture, there is, we need to free the world from torture, and also we need to free people that suffer torture from torture. And that's why the organization like Freedom from Torture, and also, you know, the Helena Bamba um, Foundation, all those kind of things about torture survivors, kind of to, you know, rehabilitate, um, you know, torture survivors, and, 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 and so on. So that's, um, you know, other way. But right now, you know, this beloved country of us is going completely to the opposite direction. You know, we have a government which I think is turning itself to be a little bit dictatorial, autocratic. If we let it go, trust me, if it's not happening in our lifetime, the next generation will be living in a dictatorial country where their rights are not going to be there, where the government is going to make a decision, put whatever that they like, and so and so. But we need to do things now to stop it, because it's not going to be stopping after when it's, when it's too late. For example, if they're bringing um, immigration law, which we know is against um, our belief on how to how to help people and all those kind of things, we need to, we need to fight against it. It is not the people that are crossing the channel that you know creating the issue that we have right now in this country. It's this government that created all the you know, um, the suffering that people are suffering here, and and we need to understand and we need to stand up, um, you know, against any government that's going to turn us to a, you know dark ages, and and we can't do that as an individual. Kobazir House MBE, thank you so much for talking to me today for Refugee Radio. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.